There's a local ice cream stand like five minutes away, and I've been crushing that. So <laughs> I've been going like three or four times a week. It's tough, but it's good. Getting fat. <laughs> corona. Oh, corona weight gain. Yeah, I think that back. Oh, John. On... John, by the way, like, how's your internet connection? Because you kind of go in and out. Oh, am I? Yeah, is it? Like, are you far away from your router? I'm right next to it. I probably just have shitty internet. <laughs> Cross and John Russell crossed paths for the first time in the fall of 2014 when both players donned the UConn Husky uniform. After dominant college careers, both pitchers were later drafted into pro ball with the ultimate dream of becoming a big league. I spoke with Carson and John recently about how the UConn baseball program helped prepare them for pro ball, why amateur players should factor in age and opportunity when deciding to go pro, and how Carson is helping pitchers across the region with his free at-home throwing program online during the coronavirus pandemic. When I thought about getting you guys both on a call, the number one question I had was looking at the UConn program and realizing how successful they've been at getting guys to Pro Bowl and always the New England program the past 10 years. One, do they do a good job, you know, better job than others at recruiting or do they do better job than others at preparing guys for Pro Bowl? Or is it a little bit of both? I'd say it's a little bit of both. I mean. They've definitely built some momentum, especially after like my freshman year there with the 2011 class. That definitely, you know, provided a leg up on the recruiting standpoint. Um, but I would say just the culture of internal competition amongst like the staff and just the team in general. If you want to be on the field, you got to work really hard to get there. And then once you're on the field, it's like until you've really established yourself, your, your role is up for grabs. And I think that was something I struggled with a little bit early on in my career was the fact that like I thought since I got some scholarship money and was a bigger recruit that I was going to get to pitch right away. Then you kind of realize that that's not the case. And then when you're slowly earning your role, other guys can kind of compete for those innings too. So it puts pressure on you to, to be locked in when you get the chance, especially from like the pitching side of things. It's a little different for me because, you know, go, I feel like some guys go to UConn for that reason. You know, they, they go because they see a lot of guys who get pro and that's up to them. That's a good recruiting tool for them. But uh, campus my freshman year, that was like, not that I didn't want to get drafted eventually, but it wasn't that I went there, you know, my end um, at that point. I think the name that they built just in and of itself helped them get more drafted because a guy like me who's uh, First round talent, that, but if you if you have guys like Anthony Hayes and Montgomery, guys like that, like top ten round guys, there's gonna be scouts there to watch. So just kind of inevitably, if I'm coming in the game for them and the scouts are still there, look at me. Definitely help. I, I think that was a big reason why they're starting more and more guys. That there's there's also a ton of talent on those teams. You, you realize how how deep those teams with some of the guys that don't. When I was there, there was a where had me, Pete Poulin, and Jake Wallace. 
on the same team and not say that we were all when we were all there but the rosters just are when you when you go back actually look at them you hear a lot in like football programs where especially like the draft was last night and like you hear the commentators talk about well you know this college program really runs a pro pro style program like is there any baseball equivalent to that can you compare your your professional uh training to your your college training definitely differences between my big differences in professional and college baseball but i think that the values that they that coach Patterson and that staff that they teach there are very similar you know, to, to what help you be successful in, in professional baseball and i think that's why you see a lot of guys come out of the university and and continue to have success in, in pro ball yeah i would agree i mean they definitely push for you to you to take control of like your own development in some capacity, which I think is super helpful for once you, you do get away from school. Like if everything is, is laid out for you perfectly day by day in college, then you get to pro ball and you don't know how to manage your time or what to focus on then. And I mean, you definitely see that in the pro sector where some guys have were higher picks in the draft or higher round picks and they don't really know what they're good at when they get to pro ball. And it's basically because they've been in like a system per se. And so I would say one thing that was really cool at UConn was we were kind of really allowed to to do what we wanted as pitchers. So if I wanted to throw a certain pitch or pitch a certain way, um, I could kind of do that. It wasn't like I had to conform to some specific regimen or technique or, or pitch selection, stuff like that, which I thought that was really cool because we're all different and we all have different strengths. That's a great point because you hear a lot of that with some programs in college where you know, well, if you go here, they're going to change the way you pitch. Or like, I think one program that comes to mind is like Virginia. Every every Virginia pitcher has that little knee bend when they pitch. And, and you see it in pro ball a lot too, where you'll get someone who's very mechanics oriented. And then the next pitching guy the next year at the next affiliate is not really worried about your mechanics as much as, as your pitch selection or, or something else. Like where I remember like one pitching coordinator with the Dodgers we had was just like obsessed with breaking down video of where the delivery is going wrong. And then like the next guy that came in after the other guy left was more like, don't worry about your mechanics, just throw the ball there, which I thought was interesting because it's almost a complete inverse. Yeah. And I, I know for for a fact that that's like a big thing that, that Coach Mack, the pitching coach at UConn, keeps in, um, in his recruiting uh, kind of himself into like a box of player types to recruit. He really prides himself on the fact that he'll have a 5'10 guy, you know, in the bullpen who, who can throw strikes uh, and a 6'6 guy who's the starter. And because I, I know that he believes if all I have is six three-handed pitchers who throw ball fly or change up you know if my starters can hit around I'm just going to put in their six three righty who throws the same pitches like what what's going to be the difference he's probably just going to get hit too so I know that that's the big recruiting philosophy philosophy that he follows which I think is awesome. Carson is that is that kind of what you believe individualization as far as yeah. like, you know how a guy pitches isn't that important? Yeah, big time. I mean, it's like anything we do. We're going to have like slightly different tendencies or, or like deliveries, mechanics, thought processes. Like I'm sure if you asked John and I what we were both thinking on the mound at the same time, it'd probably be pretty different. And then same thing if you ask Pat or someone else, you know, like we all are our own beings. And I think with pitching, especially like trying to have guys. I was thinking anything on the mound. <laughs> no, just turn up the heat. But yeah, like 
certain people can handle certain things. And so you got to kind of let guys have some freedom. Ultimately, they're the one out there who has to get the out. It's much better to, to be a believer in what you're doing rather than trying to live up to the expectations of something you, you don't do, which I think is huge. Something that I think is pretty good for kids to hear, especially draft eligible guys, age is such a high value in pro ball. So like, even though the draft is going to be shortened or free agency, like signing will be limited in terms of money that can be spent, like how valuable it can be to get into an organization. John, how old were you when you got drafted? Were you 21 or were you older than that? I was 21. Yeah. So my junior year, but I was pretty old in my grade. So I was 20 at the time, yeah. And then, so how old are you now? 24. 24. Okay. So for me, I was 24 going into my first spring training. So because I was, I ended up being a fifth year senior, so it didn't bode well in one sense. But like, if you get into an organization at 21, you're pretty much, especially if they invest in you a little bit, right? You're looking at at least like a three to five year window of opportunity versus if you're getting into organization at 22, 23, then your window of time within an organization is a lot shorter. And I think especially for guys up this way that have never really been around baseball at that level, baseball at UConn, we had that level, but it was in kind of a small niche, right? And then the Cape exists. And if you see that, or you get to play there, you kind of see talent that exists elsewhere. But I know for myself, like getting into an organization, you show up, you got a good chunk of Latin American players that have elite skills that you've never seen before playing in America, especially as a kid. And you find out that they're, you know, three or four years younger than you. Um, and then you also have a bunch of guys that kind of go out of high school that you didn't even know existed because they weren't playing in college with you. So I think one thing that that's super valuable and for kids to take into consideration is their age when they have the opportunity to go into pro ball. So if you're a Northeast guy and you're 21 right now and an organization is potentially going to draft you or sign you or whatever ends up working, like just know that getting into an organization is a whole step closer to getting to the big leagues, which is ultimately everyone's goal who's trying to, to play at the next level. And I know personally for me, like when I was drafted in 13 by the Pirates, I didn't take that into consideration as much. And I think it's just a contextual thing. Like I didn't know how much competition was actually inside of pro baseball once you get into pro baseball. I kind of thought like once you get into pro baseball, it's like the next stepping stone to the big leagues rather than like almost a whole new wave of competition for you to sort through. So Chris, is that something that like you deal with with guys at all or like guys who are like high school? Because like that's something that now I understand a lot more is like if a team's going to give you like a couple hundred grand out of high school and you really want to be a big leaguer, like there's a good chance that that's probably the best route for you. But a lot of people are like, yeah, but college, you know, and it's like from being on both sides of it as a player and a coach now, I kind of noticed that like high school guys, like you just have so much time to adapt to like the pro lifestyle of playing every day and traveling all the time. And there's a lot more competition for your job. So I, my point of view is like, first and foremost, there's no general answer, right? So like you have to look at the person first and like if he's equipped for skipping college or if he's equipped for actually potentially spending two years in Arizona or Florida, um, where you guys know that you know, not, you're not going to have any fans really at the games. It's hot as hell during the summer. Yeah. Uh, you're playing baseball at full go. And right around that, that time where, you know, it's your second year, you don't break camp with the full season clubs and you realize that you're going to be in extended spring training for the second year or whatever. 
I mean, that's, that's, that can be crushing uh, because, you know, for a 19 or 20 year old player, who's just like, I just want to go. I, I didn't sign up here to, you know, go to Arizona camp, you know, for two years, year and a half, whatever it is. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of have to like look at everything about the player. Like if, if the, if the only goal is like, like if the player is like, I don't care what it takes. What, my only goal is to be the big leaguer and the kid has potential to be a big leaguer. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, all right, well, then you have to explain to the player, this is what it's going to be like. And I, I think that's a huge job for an agent and should be a huge job for an agent, but not all agents really know. You know, I, I was lucky enough to work for the Dodgers and the Pirates and see firsthand all these players come and go through the minor leagues and saw how many, how, how many of them struggled to even get to double A and like spent five, six years and they didn't get past that level. So you really have to explain the risks involved and what, and try to paint a picture for the player, what it's like going through the minor leagues. And that's really hard to do because the day you get drafted is probably one of the most exciting days of your life. And you're going to go to pro ball. And I'm sure every guy that gets drafted thinks I got a chance. I got a chance to be a big leader. This is my chance. And, and they go in, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and excited. Um, and then reality kind of hits pretty quick, some quicker than others, and it's just how you deal with that. You know, it's just how you react to that situation. And if you're more prepared going into pro ball, knowing what it's going to be like, at least if you have people in your corner telling you what it's going to be like, I think the player's going to be better off. Yeah, I think a big thing with that, too, is, you know, whether or not to sign high school or go to college is you put a value on that, on that time, you know, on that time and that experience you're going to have in college and, and those three years and not necessarily the length. And obviously you got to put a value on that too, but also the, the, the time of the actual education process. And, and it's a long process to get that degree. And, and if you decide to sign at a high school and then go professional baseball and it doesn't work out and you get released at 23, 24, like, really want to go back and four years school and finish your degree when you're 28, 29, you know, at age, as opposed to, you know, getting released 24, 25 and, and only having one year to go back and finish. I think that, that, that's a big, that has a big deciding factor. And, you know, obviously your schooling, if, if you get the MLB scholarship program, it's going to be covered, but that time, I mean, you just don't know where you're going to be you know, in your life at the moment, if you're going to have kids, you're going to be married, or, or, you know, it's a lot to to think about. And I know from my experience, like, going through school and dealing with some adversity through school have has helped me a lot to, like, understand the game and just put me in a position to be a coach now, where I think if it was the other way around, it might, be not, might not work out the way it did. So I think it, there's pros and cons to both. And I mean, we see it all the time with guys who've been to college. They kind of know how to take care of themselves once they're in the pro game, rather than some of the guys who are still trying to figure out what life's like on their own or what independence looks like. So I think it's always a good discussion, but it's definitely something you must deal with as an agent quite a bit. Yeah. And there's like so many factors too. Is the, is the player the type of person that can actually go through a minor league career, like John said, and then go back to school for four years you know, and how many times do you know, does the, does the 18 year old self know what the 25 year old self is going to be like? That, can anyone say that? Like, I don't think so. Like, so you really, it's a, it's a tough job. It's a tough sell. The bonus money is really the, the, the probably the, the biggest deciding factor in the whole thing. 
you know, if you're being offered a few million dollars, college, I'll get to college when I get to college because you can do a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can do a lot with that money, you know, and, and invest it. And then you can, if you want to go back to college, you can pay for it um, yourself or have that college scholarship money as well. That money can actually uh, create other opportunities where college degree isn't as valuable as someone who didn't have that kind of money. So um, it's just knowing the player and, and ha making sure the player knows himself as much as he can. And that's where, like for a high school person, that's where the parents come in huge. Their influence is really important. It all comes down to knowing the player, you know, well, what's best for him. I mean, that's the job of an agent. Yeah. Whatever's in the best interest of the player is the right thing to do. I would say, you know, if, if you, if there's talk of you getting drafted, you know, first off, don't, don't too far ahead. Um, you know, obviously you got to be prepared for the draft, but you can't be thinking about draft in February, you know, before it starts, you know, you're, your your job is to, to the next game that's on your schedule when when you're in college and um, you know do but also you know I think Coach Penders gave me great advice. He said do your research, um, you know find guys with similar body types to you, similar numbers to you who got drafted the years, see what they score, you know similar similar player types basically, and you know you try and figure out what your value is going in the draft and, um, you know, from pick your number that, that you're willing to sign for. And, and if you're actually worth that number, then more teams will give it. To you. Don't, don't sell yourself, sell yourself for in that category. Yeah. The, um, the fact that it's going, the fact that the post, whatever, we don't know if it's going to be five rounds or 10 rounds, but the fact that after, once the draft is over, a player can only sign for 20 grand as opposed to 125 grand uh, as a maximum before it starts hitting their bonus pool. That really creates a dilemma for players in college. Um, how does, like, if, if you guys were going through that, what, what would be going through your mind? Would you weigh the fact that, all right, I'm going to get paid less, I'm just going to deal with that because in the end I want to be a big leaguer and I need to get into pro ball to get this thing going, or do I wait a year and try to better my stock and maybe make a little bit more money uh, through the draft and then get into pro ball? Uh, yeah, that's a tough question. I, I don't know. I think that if, if I knew that I could go to school and, um, year of eligibility so say my junior year and I can sign up for two grand or I can go to school finish my degree and still be a redshirt junior and like still have leverage in the draft then I would definitely have gone back to school you know just to to finish the degree get that out of the way and I still have some leverage in the draft um, if you're talking that you lose that you lose lose that year of eligibility and lose your leverage and it, it's a totally different circumstance I, I don't know I probably would have signed um but yeah it's a funky situation yeah yeah I mean one thing I would say is like <clears throat> like John was talking about you kind of need to know what number is going to get you into pro ball type thing because realistically if there's only 10 rounds in the draft and you're slotted to go in the back half of that 10 rounds, 
it's probably going to be your best bet rather than waiting another year. Um, but I think if you're on the bubble there and you're like expecting maybe an eighth, ninth, tenth round call and you don't get one and then you get offered 20 grand, maybe the best bet for you is to go back to school, pick, pick something that you really need to focus on in terms of your development, whether that's velocity or adding another pitch or, or just focusing on school and getting it done so that when you get into pro ball, there's nothing to think about other than baseball. I mean, if they do go through with some of these things they're talking about in terms of like reducing the amount of affiliated teams and how things are run in terms of like more development at the, the like uh, spring training complexes and stuff like that, it might bode well for someone to get in early and have more time with an org. I think it's just kind of person to person. I know if I was at UConn, I'd probably be staying at school for another year. If I was at maybe a less competitive situation, I might be trying to to make that jump a little quicker. Yes, yeah, that's interesting. So I got I to gotta believe that if I'm in the player's shoes, you're looking at a situation where college baseball is actually less volatile than professional baseball right now. Players know at this point, probably know at this point, that <clears throat> what their, their situation is in their program. So they probably had conversations with their coach, getting to know what kind of money, like if you're a junior and you're going to be a quote unquote red shirt junior next year, or, you know, you're not going to lose your eligibility next year. You're going to come back as a junior and your coach has said, no, we're going to make sure that you have scholarship money or if you're a senior and they've guaranteed scholarship money or not, you, you actually know what you're getting into if you stay in college, where at this moment, we don't know how many rounds of the draft is going to be. We don't know how many teams are going to be in minor league baseball next year. Uh, so, which means roster spots, which means what kind of competition there's going to be in the minor leagues. You might be better off staying in college. Just if all things are equal, if you're kind of on the fence, you're probably better off staying in college, just knowing that it's, it's a little bit more stable of an environment. You actually get to go pitching games, right? Like if they reduce the number of teams, like for, for example, with myself, I pitched in the Penn League for two seasons. And if they reduce the number of teams, something like that short season rookie ball won't exist. So then you're pitching at a complex, which is not the same as playing like games where you're traveling and, and having more like fan-based competition. So I would definitely choose the uh, pitching college with something on the line and then kind of make the transition from there. When did you get the idea, Carson, to do the, the video trainings they've been doing? Since like this year, last time, Logan and I have been – trying to do it and we just have been across the country from each other so we haven't like fully finalized it at all but he basically went through and filmed all the exercises he would program in the gym um, at the gym and access so we have like 300 videos of each like exercise in the gym so we could create remote strength program and then I had done a lot of the throwing drills and J-band stuff like that in Arizona last year but I was like I guess like kind of afraid to just put it out there with this downtime I was been so bored I was like, okay, I'm going to do some throwing myself and I might as well like provide at least there's like 10 or 12 kids that are in college that I threw with a lot when they were in high school and they're kind of like, what do I do? So I was like, well, we're probably not going to play till the summer. So this kind of sets us back to like the winter, like training time. And so this is what I would recommend for you. And then a lot of people now have reached out about it. So it's been pretty cool. Yeah, there's like a local field couple fields and then in the like side yard there's a huge oak tree so I've just been throwing plows off the oak tree um, and then I actually got a throwing sock which is like the little bag that goes over your wrist so that I don't have to throw with anyone else because I went and threw into the net at the field but kind of sucked because I'd throw it then go pick it up throw it pick it up 
Yeah. Throwing sock, I can, I can move a lot faster. It's not like I'm actually training. It's kind of just for fun. It's pretty cool to see like all the different creative ways people are training online. You know, on Twitter they'll post like their their videos. And yeah. Yeah, we have like I don't know about you, Johnny, but the org has created like a Instagram for the players. And so our strength coaches have been trying to come up with like really creative ways to show guys how they can keep training. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we have an Instagram account, but we got, you know, I got my strength coach sending me videos of him doing like mobility work on a balcony and, and things along that. So it's cool. I mean, everyone's trying to, trying to find a way to, uh, you know, get their work in. Thanks for listening. Your support is greatly appreciated, so please subscribe, like, and leave a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. We will see you next week with another mound visit. You look like you got a haircut, Carson. Yeah. My hair was getting too long, and then my girlfriend decided to try to give me a fade, and we ended up with a box cut. <laughs> Turned into a box cut? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just... could probably use one pretty soon here. I'm not taking off my hat. This thing's turning into a man. <laughs> <laughs>